I'd like to welcome to the show, Jeffrey Olson. How you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing great, Alex. It's good to be with you. Very thank good you, to be- Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. I, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, your experience and sharing your experience with our audience. And hopefully it's going to uh, help some 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 people listening uh, on their own life journey, listening to yours your journey. So, my first question to you is: What was your life like prior to your near death experience? Gosh, prior to the near death experience, um, I was running an ad agency. I, I you know, I'd, I I had, I had played Division One football. I had graduated from college. I had a degree in marketing with a a, a minor in psychology and. Uh, was running an ad agency as the creative director. I was married, happily married. We had two uh, boys, two sons, and life was good. It was kind of, um, gosh, it was like in, in hindsight, wow, everything I did worked out, was successful, and it was it was um, it was a good life. So let me let me ask you. Um... Because so many of us struggle through life, and I'm sure you had your struggles prior to your near-death experience as well, like we all did. But why do you think that, I mean, your, your train seemed to have been going on a good road. Why do you think you needed to go through this experience? You know, that's a great question. And uh, and and I learned in the near-death experience, that, yeah, our soul has a journey. And, um, you know, yes, I'd had challenges. Gosh, we had, we had struggled to get our second son here. You know, there was infertility challenges, uh, work was challenging and hard and stressful. Um, but the interesting thing is, you know, those are kind of at the very, (laughs) that's just at the, at the first blush level when the near death experience happened. And we'll get into all that. Um, the whole facade was ripped out. You know, I mean, everything that I thought was success, everything that I thought was love, everything that I thought was goodness um, suddenly was transformed in a, in a miraculous way. And it, it was quite a journey. I mean, it took me 10 years to even talk about the near-death experience uh, because of this oh transition, if you will. I mean, many people say transformation, but the near-death experience um, was caused by an automobile accident. It basically, uh, well, it, it crushed both my legs. Well, if you want, let's 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 talk about the near-death experience, so we could just get into it exactly. So, what exactly happened uh, during? How did that near-death experience happen, leading up to it? Yeah, the near-death experience was caused by an automobile accident, and the whole family was in the car. We were on a family vacation, and um, you know, one of the difficult things telling this story is I believe I may have dozed off at the will. It was a road trip. And it's been it's been 25 years since that happened. I couldn't even speak of it for a decade. But it was on a, an automobile accident, a single car rollover. It, uh, it crushed both of my legs. Uh, my left leg was amputated above the knee. It broke my back in a couple of places, which um, ironically didn't damage the spinal column. I still have full movement. My right arm was nearly torn off. My rib cage was damaged. My lungs were collapsed and the seatbelt had cut through me and ruptured all my insides. The most devastating part of the the accident is my wife and youngest son were killed instantly in the accident. So sorry. about uh, yeah, the whole facade being ripped out. Suddenly, everything um, everything was different, and um, it was horrific. I mean, I blacked out during the rollover, 
but when the car came to a stop, I was completely conscious. The first thing I heard was my seven-year-old, my oldest son, crying hysterically in the back seat. And as a father, I thought, well, I gotta, I've got to get to my boy. I've got to get to him. But that's when I realized I couldn't move. I was pinned either to the floorboard or the seat. I couldn't tell. I was struggling to maintain consciousness. I was struggling to breathe. Um, I was in intense pain, but I was unaware of my injuries. I, I really, I mean, the adrenaline, I, I didn't realize that. I just knew my son was crying and I wanted to get to my son. But that's uh, when the brutal reality hit that no one else was crying. And um, I became aware at the scene of the accident that both my youngest son and my, my wife were killed instantly. And that was a very helpless feeling. I mean, there I was losing consciousness. I couldn't move. Half the family was gone. And and Alex, I was driving the car. I mean, the guilt, the regret, the, oh, you know, I, gosh, can't I get those three seconds back? What happened? What mm. happened? And it was in that that darkness. And I don't share that to be morbid or, or graphic, but it was a hellacious you know, pace, place to be. But that's when the near-death experience began to unfold. And I say that because it was quite a process. Um, but in that darkness, I felt this light come. And, and I say that, it, it sounds ethereal, but it was like tangible light. It, it felt as if light came and surrounded me and began to comfort me in this horrific situation. And suddenly I could breathe. And the pain was gone. And I and, and, and I, literally, I was thinking, how can I be okay? What? what just happened here and then the interesting part of it is in that light which which felt like a bubble of light it felt like i was suspended in this bubble of light and suddenly there was no pain i could breathe and then my wife tamra who i knew was deceased at the scene suddenly she was there in the light with me and uh and we began to converse and, and she was emphatic she kept saying jeff you you can't come. You can't come. You got to go back. You got to go back. You got to go back. And she was, uh, she was upset and emphatic. And and we we literally had a conversation, and made a choice where we discussed if if I stayed with her, our oldest son, who survived the accident, he was banged up a little bit, but physically he basically walked away from it. Emotionally, he thought the whole family was gone. But we discussed the fact that if I stayed with her, he'd be orphaned. And we made a deal that I'd go back and I'd raise our boy. And uh, Alex, I learned a lot about choice. <laughs> you know, and I mean, here I was, <laughs> here I was looking at the woman I loved more than life. And yet I knew I had a little boy in the backseat of that car. <sighs> and uh, we we made a decision to uh, that I was going to come back. And that <sighs> was it. You know, I mean, I, I didn't have to figure out how to come back. We have no idea how powerful our thoughts are. You know, I mean, the intention. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going back. Um, I said the most profound goodbye I'll probably ever say. And then I found myself moving about a hospital. If moving freely about a hospital. Now, when I say that, I was I was out of the body. Um, and I have no concept of time in this bubble of light, if you will. I, I later found out people arrived at the scene. Uh, Spencer, my seven-year-old, was, you know, he was banged up. He had bruised his ribs and cracked his wrist. With my extensive injuries, I had to be extricated from the car and I was I was life flighted or airlifted to the, you know, the nearest level one trauma center. 
I knew nothing about that. I knew we'd crashed the car. I knew I'd said this profound goodbye. And then here I was moving about the hospital and, and encountering the doctors and the nurses and the patients and the families of the patients. I seemed to have a, I was aware of everything. And I was aware specifically of every individual I encountered. I mean, everyone I saw, I, I it's like I knew them. I, I mean, they, we were connected, even though they were strangers in this realm, I knew them. I knew their love, their hate, their motivations, their challenges, their choices. I, I knew them and it was all wrapped in this, this absolute unconditional love. I, I was seeing everyone differently. Um, mm -hmm. You know, quick example, I, 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 I passed by a nurse and she seems completely unaware of me, obviously. But in an instant, I, I knew... I knew, I knew everything like I, and I felt it as if it was me. I, I call it a oneness. There was a connection. I felt in an instant as if it was my own, uh, her abuse as a child, her, her physical, emotional and sexual abuse. Like I felt it in a very real way. And in that same instant, it's like, wow, look at the magnificence of who she is. She's here in a hospital serving and healing and, I mean, it was, you know, I, I I knew all this stuff, but there was no judgment. There was no comparison. There was just this absolute connected oneness that was infused with love that had no conditions and not a romantic love, but a true, you know, a true unconditional love. And then I finally came up on a body I, I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was odd. And that's when I stepped closer to look and realized, oh, my gosh, that's that's me, but it wasn't me. I, I was having this profound connected experience, but there was my body and uh, it was a mess. It was a mess. Now. Okay. So, so at this point, so you're out of body at this point, this, all this I, is out of body. All this is out of body. And I, 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 I mean, I realized, wow, there's my body. I mean, that that's, I, I mean, are you floating or are you standing? Or? No, it, it felt as if I was just freely moving. moving I, I, mean, I, I couldn't feel my feet walking or the floor, but I felt as if I was just freely moving about. And then the reality of that's my body. And that that was that there was a profound sadness as I looked at the, you know, I, I had always taken my body for granted. And and as I I mean, and there was a realization too. I'm like, wow, what a miracle our bodies are. What a miraculous machine. I don't have to remind my heart to beat or or tell my lungs to breathe or teach my eyes how to see. I, I mean, I was looking at this broken mass and realizing I've got to get back in there. Um, I made a deal. I got to get back in there. And uh, the brokenness of it, um, there was a profound sadness and a profound realization of, wow, what a miracle our bodies are. And yet mine's busted and I got to get in there. And again, just our thoughts, our intentions. I didn't have to figure out, well, how do I get back in? As soon as I made that choice, I'm going back in. Well, you know, boom, I was back in the body, but back to the heaviness and the guilt and the regret and the pain and the trauma and the, um, I mean, I was ventilated. There was a big tube, you know, down my throat, which was doing the breathing <clears throat> lungs my legs were immobile my right arm was immobile they eventually tied down my left arm because i kept grabbing at all the medical equipment but uh, there i was in the body back to all the pain and grief and trauma that i seemed to be 
separate from when I was out of the body. I mean, I was aware of what had happened, but uh, it was a different experience than being in the flesh. Did you, so was that essentially the end of your spiritual near-death experience as far as once you got back in the body or did something else continue after? No, no, it, it, it continued. It was interesting. I was in the hospital for almost uh, five months. I had Jeez. 18 surgeries. Yeah. 18 surgeries trying to put me back together. And not only were the infections horrific, you know, because my insides had all been exploded and, and they had to leave the wounds in my belly and hip wide open. I, I threw pulmonary emboli or blood clots that lodge in the lungs. And so I would be an <sighs> icy. I, I was in and out of consciousness. And there were times during that hospital stay where I, I felt as if, okay, I'm, I'm taking a break. I mean, it's like my spiritually had to be standing in the corner, you know, watching my body thinking, I just got to take a break. I can't be in there anymore. And then, of oh, course, so you I, were jumping in and out essentially for those five months. Uh, not for the five months, but early on. Yeah. And okay. I was kind of in and out. Interesting though, Alex, maybe the, perhaps the most profound experience I had was at the end of my hospital stay. And, um, you know, it's probably worth pointing out the most profound experiences were at the scene of the accident, you know, before all the narcotics and morphine and everything had been administered. And then at the end of my hospital stay, I had gotten out of ICU. I had gone through surgical recovery. I was, I was actually in the rehabilitation wing. It was only a, a couple of weeks before I was to come home. And I went to sleep. It's funny. I was finally able to roll on my side. They'd finally stabilized my abdominal injuries. I'd laid on my back so long. I'd rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. I was oh, wow. the back of my head. So that's what happened to me. That's what <laughs> my brother, my brother and my brothers were incredible. I mean, they rallied around me. I've got two brothers. They rallied around me and my youngest brother, you know, took in my surviving son, just like he was one of oh, them. My older brother, who was a trained EMT, and he he would come in and even look after me in the hospital. I mean, oh. there was a point where the nurses were throwing up because of the abdominal wounds, and they had to pack him every day and then strip out the gauze. And he oh, was there at one God. point, and he said, "Look, I'll do it. I'll take care of my little brother. You guys go throw up, and we'll 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 do this thing, you know." But it was at the it was at the end of this hospital stay, and I finally they had stabilized all that. I I was laying on my side thinking, wow, I, I don't know that I've slept. I mean, I've certainly been, you know, I've slept, but I, 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 I realized I was in a peaceful sleep. I thought I'm, I'm peacefully sleeping. And I felt that light come again, that the same light that I'd felt at the accident scene. And I was not on any narcotics at this point. I was simply taking some Tylenol for pain. But that light surrounded me. I had that same lift, you know, that I'd felt at the accident. It felt as if I was rising above the hospital bed. But at this point, the the light dispersed. It, it, it like 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 a fog off of, of a lake. It, it it went away, and I was in, I was in the most incredible, beautiful place. Um, you know, people say heaven or the spirit world or the other side. I mean, the only word that comes close to what I was experiencing is I was home. I was home. It was so, I was so welcoming. It felt so familiar. And and I can't emphasize, it was such a physical experience. I mean, here I am out of the body or, or you know, in spirit or the soul. 
but it felt so physical. I could literally feel the energy of the ground underneath my feet. And I had both feet. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, they, they had amputated and everything that had gone on in this realm. But in that realm, I was whole. And I began to run and, and I could feel the intelligence in my calves and my thighs. It was it was such a physical experience. I don't know how to explain that, but I, I was running gleefully thinking I'm home. It felt so welcoming. And I had the knowing. I I, I you know, I, I knew I'm not here to stay. And at that same time, there was this corridor off to the left. And I knew intuitively I'm I'm to go that way. And I began working my way down this corridor. And at the end of the corridor was a crib. Now, Griffin, my my little son that we lost in the accident, um, he was just a toddler. He was still sleeping in a crib at the time of the accident. He was 14 months old. Oh. And I had been tormented. What, what, what had happened to him is his car seat had broken apart and, and he had been ejected from the car. And I was aware of that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At the scene and... um I, I'd just been tormented with the grief and all. So this crib's there. I, I race to the crib. And I look in the crib and there's my little boy. Um, beautiful, perfect. And and I, uh, you know, sleeping. I, I I don't know if you've ever picked up a sleeping child, but I picked oh, yeah. him. You know, the weight and the heat of him. I'm okay. like, it's, it's my little the, boy. I mean, the smell. <laughs> the smell. And, and, you know, this is exactly what I did. Alex, you know, you get it. I mean, I picked up my child and I'm I'm feeling him. Yeah. And the heat of him. And I can feel his breath on my neck. And I leaned over. I leaned over and I, I smell this hair. You know, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's him. It, I mean, I'm holding my little boy and I begin to weep just thinking, how can this be? And, and yet it was. I mean, there I was holding him and as I wept holding him and, and kissing him and I, I could feel this intense presence coming up behind me, this overwhelming, powerful presence. And, you know, I grew up in a conservative Christian home and my thought was, well, that's, that's God. And I'm in so much trouble. I mean, I, the guilt, you know, that I'm thinking my little boy's here because I crashed the car, you know, his life was cut so short because somehow I overcorrected or lost control and, and this presence is coming closer and closer and closer. And I, 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 I felt it so close and I didn't dare turn around and I'm holding my child. And I, I have the thought, I hope there's some way I can be forgiven. And with that thought, and this almost felt physical too, I just felt these divine arms wrap around and hold me and my little boy. And that's, it's like the lid came off. There was just this, downpour of love and peace and 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 the first thing communicated is i had the thought i hope i can be forgiven and, and the communication was so clear it was beyond words I, I i was told there's nothing to forgive 
everything's in perfect divine order. And I'm, I'm holding my child weeping, thinking, well, how can that be? And then I had what I've learned is called the life review. I begin to see my life. You know, I saw my parents' divorce and the insecurities that caused in me. I saw how my brothers had showed up for me my whole life. You know, even when I thought my big brother was being mean, I realized, wow, he loved me that much, you know, and 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 I I saw things and I was I was saying, well, that 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 was a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. And this beautiful being that held me said, there are no mistakes. What did you learn from it? What did you learn? That was it was always repeated. Yeah. But what did you learn? What did you learn? And I even saw things and I thought, well, that was wrong. And I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And. The divine God, whatever you want to call this being that held me said, that's your judgment of it, not ours. We love you. You're as beloved as the child you hold. And it was this, it was this strange multiplicity because here I was holding my son who was perfect and beloved and divine to me. And, and I was being held by the divine and, and it was magnified in a way where it's like, yeah, we love you just like that child you hold. And yeah, you thought you were messing up your life, but you were learning to walk and everything was, you know, aligned in such a way. And, and I kept thinking because of my beliefs, I thought, yeah, but I'm failing the test. I, I believed that life was a test <laughs> and this divine love communicated your life's not a test. It's a gift. It's a gift. And, and to your question, why did you go through this? I mean, I learned such profound forgiveness, you know, I mean, there I was in the arms of the divine thinking, how could I possibly be forgiven and realized the one to forgive was me. I had to forgive myself. You know, I mean, uh, I can forgive pretty easily, but boy, I'm the hardest one to forgive when it comes oh, to yeah. self-forgiveness. And and oh, there yeah. was, you know, there was a lot of that going on. Again, choice. And I'll I'll wrap this up, but I choices were outlined for me. I saw I saw clearly that I I could be mad at God, you know, because this accident happened and was allowed and my family passed and and I was told that will be okay. We love you anyway. <laughs> you know, and then I, I also saw that I could beat myself up for the rest of my life um, in guilt because I was driving the car. But I was given a third choice. I was told, and this was very interesting for me, given my belief system. <laughs> God said to me, I want you to have your will. And I thought my will, I always learned it was your will be done. And this beautiful being that held me said, my will is your will. That's how much you're loved. My will is always that you have free will. And I was told that you can give your son to me. You can exercise will and hand him over and release him and trust. <laughs> and uh, then you won't feel like he was yanked away. You, you, you'll, you'll exercise your you know, free will and and hand him over. And in, in all that love and all that beauty and all that peace, I kissed my little boy and I handed him over. And, uh, you know, then I, I woke up or came to myself back in the hospital bed to the amputation and the wheelchair and the colostomy bag and all that was going on. And, you know, I grieved as miserably as anybody grieves, even, even with all the experiences. But that one... That one probably allowed me to get through it somehow. Otherwise, I might be that guy strung out on some street corner wondering what happened, you know. But that one gave me 
reason to continue, I suppose. So that is, from my understanding of having so many of these conversations, that near-death experiences, these are many times presented in the time frame or out-of-body experiences are presented in the time frames that are needed to help the soul cope with what is going on in their life at this point of their journey, or they have taken a wrong turn and need to be thrown back onto the right path. Uh, That's from my understanding. You know, your story is so, um, in many ways, so horrific, but in many ways, so beautiful. And there's so many people listening who are struggling with a loss, struggling with a loss of a child, a loss of a a loved one, loss of a parent. And they are angry at God or angry at what happened to them. Is there any words that you can say to help them along their path? Wow. You know, for those that are hurting, I mean, when I, when I was there, I, I, I won't pretend to know how anyone else feels, but I know how I felt. And like I say, perhaps this out-of-body or near-death experience was the only thing to get me through. They're not really gone. I've had two of the most powerful guardian angels. I mean, little whispers, and it's little things. I mean, it's not lightning and lightning and thunder on the mountain. But based on my experience, death isn't the end. They're never lost. They're they're with us. They, they, They become our guardian angels. They watch out for us and look over us. Now, you know, my son, seven-year-old Spencer, the one that survived the accident, he didn't have a near-death experience. He didn't get any of that. I mean, he really struggled. You know, it's like, boy, mom's gone. My little brother's gone. And my dad's never going to be the same. And yet there's always light. You know, in fact, Spencer and I have just released a children's book. He's a grown man now. He's married. He's found a love of his own. And uh, it's called, Where Are You? It's written from his seven-year-old perspective of what, oh. you know, where are you? And, and it's a beautiful book. He did a beautiful job on it, you know, outlining. I, I mean, he, he says this is for anybody who misses someone. And, and he realizes that, you know what, they live on through me. And, and I honor them in the way I live my life. And, uh, and they're right there if I'm open to those little whispers, those little things. And, you know, he he brings up everything from, from uh, gosh, the stars in the sky to the smell of banana bread. You know, I mean, this is where he finds his 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 loved ones. And and the story has a my story. I mean, there's so there's so much into it, Alex. I mean, gosh, I, I healed. I was fit with a prosthetic limb. I learned to walk again. I mean, I limp and, you know, <laughs> my body's still kind of a broken mess. But, hey, I'm functioning and I'm working and. I even fell in love again. Gosh, I mean, I, 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 an incredible woman came into Spencer and I's life, and uh, her name is Tanya. My my current wife is the she's the hero of the story. We we adopted two boys, and I don't even call them my adopted sons. They're just they're just my boys. They they just come to me in this miraculous way as they all do, and and things were rebuilt. It's like that. You know, I, I I read a story once about these. Uh, uh, this is in Asia when pots break, they 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 put them back together, you know, and then they fill the cracks with precious metal. And I feel like that's my life. It was broken and shattered into a thousand pieces, and everyone has showed up, 
including myself at times. I, I had to show up for myself sometimes, but those pots have been put back together. And, and my life as a pot is filled. The cracks are filled with gold and silver and precious metals. And, um, you know, gosh, my, my my sons, all my sons, including the one that looks out for me, Griffin, the little guy I lost, he's my big guardian angel. But my sons here in this life, uh, they're 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 my joy. That they're 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 the peace that that comes. And I look at them and think, wow, it was worth it. It was worth it to come back as I watch them grow into men. And Tanya, you know, and her love, and she, you know, she puts up with me. And anyway, I'm I I know it's traumatic and it's been tragedy, but it's been 25 years. So in hindsight, I say, wow, I'm I'm maybe I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I don't know, you know. I mean, I limp around, but I got so much support and so many people that love me. Um, when you were going through the life review, did you? Because I've heard this from others. Um, that you felt that you feel the everybody that you were interacting with, or was it more of a passive experience? You know, mine, mine, I did feel some things like that. Um, and and these sound like such silly things, but but I'll tell you what, that's what I learned is that the little things are the big things. Um, for instance. I saw it. I played little league baseball. I, I became a football player at one point, but in little league, you know, when my parents were divorced and my big brother had taught me how to throw and hit the ball and first little league baseball game. And I, and this is life review stuff, right? <laughs> and uh, I actually hit the ball. He taught me how to hit the ball, but when we practiced, we never had bases. I mean, that was just in the game, right? So I ran and gosh, I hit the ball. Well, I hit first base. I ran past second base and I didn't touch the bag. So by the time I'm rounding third, the base coach is saying, go back, you got to touch the bag. And I ran back. And by that time, they threw me out at third base. And, you know, I was all of like, you know, eight years old. And there was my big brother, all of 10, you know, 10 and a half disgusted that I had missed the bag. And, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, I, and I'm telling this from the perspective of, yeah, this happened to me. But the, the near-death experience, after the game, he made me run the bases. Time and time again, touching every bag, he'd say again. He was like, you know, he's like a coach Truth. again. Touch every bag, and in my in my young state of mind, I thought, why is he so mean to me? You know, why is that? this is embarrassing? Yeah, I get it. I got to touch the bag. In the life review, I realized, wow, he loved me that much. You know, he never wanted his little brother to screw up again. He's like, touch every bag. You're going to get it right. And and so I saw it from a different perspective. Um, I saw, gosh, I was mean to a little kid in fifth grade that wanted to come and play ball with us, you know? And uh, I saw that with a different perspective too. And, and I thought, how could I ever make amends for that? And, and yet, you know, it was all like, well, just be kind to the next guy that comes around. You can't go back and do it over again, but that, this is what the divine was saying. But what did you learn and what have you become because of it, not in spite of it, but because of it, there was no judgment. There was simply this this learning. Now, as you moved <clears throat> since that since that last uh, near death experience, have you had any other spiritual um, experiences or moments that reinforce everything that you've said during your path? Oh yeah, I mean, so many, so many. Um, I'll share a couple. Like I say, I've had I I I've learned it's called after death communication. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, 
I think uh, Tamara, my wife who passed, she communicated, she came to me. I was, when I began to have feelings for Tanya, I felt guilty about that. I think I have a guilt complex, you know, it's like, how could I possibly love another woman? And I went to the graveyard and I was angry. I was looking for a fight. You know, I'm like, how dare you? How could you leave me? Here I am, you know, and, and I swear she came to me. I, di- I didn't see her with my physical eyes, but I knew she was there. And and we were communicating non-verbally. And she literally told me that she had sent Tanya my way. They'd never known each other in this life. But from her perspective, she's like, this is a good woman. And and she basically told me, she said, Jeff, you're a pretty good dad, but you're a lousy mother. <laughs> and and our, our little boy deserves a mom. That that was that was very, you know, that was a, a visitation, if you will. But other things have happened. I, I've got to tell you, like when we when we adopted our sons, mm-hmm. and, and I'll share this briefly, but you know, that was interesting. We didn't apply for adoption. This whole thing came about in a miraculous way. It, it was um we we met with the birth mother. And Zach, my middle son, was was there with her. He was just a toddler, and that was interesting because he was about the same age as Griffin was when Griffin passed. And uh, this was difficult for the birth mom. She knew it was the right decision. Her mind was made up. She was she was pregnant with Aiden, and Zach was a toddler. Those are my two adopted boys that I just say are my sons. And she wanted the brothers to stick together. And gosh, I was close enough to my brothers. It's like, yep, I get that. We got to keep the brothers together. We sat for six hours, Alex. Waiting for her to get the courage, you know, to to, to hand her son over. And... Uh, yeah, I kept saying, you know what, we don't have, it's okay. You can change your mind. We don't have to do this. I mean, and she goes, no, no, no. I, My mind is made up. It's just hard. But anyway, as she passed Zach over, as she handed him over, and ironically, she handed him to me, not to Tanya. I had this profound flashback of me handing over my son to the divine. Mm. Uh, gosh, all that trust, all that. You know, all that uh, it was I, I I don't know how to put that into words, but there's been flashbacks or little glimpses. And uh, gosh, forgive me, the tears. <laughs> hey, my friend, it's OK. It's OK. I'm already I'm feeling a few, I've had a couple already pop out as well as we've been talking. Yeah. But, you know, these little things in life and they're, and they're big things. They're big things. Um, but, yeah, I've had I've had these reconnections, which are more than deja vu. It's like, Wow. Okay, now I see the soul's journey. Now I see what I was being taught or what I came to learn or 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 what I created for myself. That was the crazy thing. Now, how did you now how did you learn about that that part of because I mean the concept of the blueprint, the souls, the souls agreement, all that kind of stuff prior to incarnating. How, where did you get that information cuz nowhere in the story have I heard that you were exposed to that? That, you know, that was in the arms of God. And and I didn't share that, but I will because I was, you know, I was still kind of angry. I'm like, how could this happen? Why, 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 right? And I believed, why would you do this to me, God? <laughs> why know, me? Right. Yeah, why, why would... And 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 I, I, I talk about this communication, that the communication was, no, you did it for you. 
you created it and every player in the whole scenario supported your soul's journey. Even, even Tamron Griffin loved you enough to go. And, and, and Spencer, he said, no, I'll stick around and walk with you, dad, even if you limp and the, you know, my other sons that, and I had no inkling. I wasn't shown my other sons or anything at that point, but I was, it, it became very clear that I had created it. And there was so much love that the entire universe supported it. And so suddenly there was total accountability. There was no one to blame. It's not like someone did it to me. My soul did it and embarked on the journey that it would learn what it came here to get. And everyone supported it in love, including the divine. And that was that that took me so long to even try to articulate. It's like, how could I say, because why would I do this? I mean, no, I, I would create a perfect life with no pain or sorrow, right? But somehow in that realm, I could see that, oh, wow, how would I know? How would I know joy without the pain? How would I know light without this darkness? How would I know health without the illness? How would I, it, it's like, it, it, I realized I'd bought the ticket to the show and I wanted the whole four, you know, the, the whole full feature. Wow. I wanted the soda, the popcorn and, and the sticky floor and the gum under the chair. It's like, you, you know, it's like you, you, you came to experience all of it and we loved you enough to support it. And, and, and that, that's in a nutshell where that came. And I've had a very hard time articulating about that. I, I wrote about that and, you know, I, I wrote a personal memoir on this called knowing, but um, I tried to articulate things. There are no words, Alex. I mean, right. I, I could sit here and ramble on. I, I don't know how to put it into words, but yeah, the the knowing, the, 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 the insight that came in the arms of the divine in a moment, in literally the twinkling of an eye, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. But then it took me a decade to process it. All, you know, all, all of my beliefs had been turned upside down and inside out. And yet I, I suppose my beliefs and my faith had been literally transformed into trust. There was so much love, and I, I didn't realize until I experienced it. And now it's like, wow, if I can manifest that in some small way in my life or in the life of somebody else, maybe if I smile at that stranger walking down the street, it'll change their day. And that might be the most important thing I do any day, you know? Right. Well, let me ask you, because there's so many people, you know, when the concept of you plan this yeah. comes along. It's a concept at this level from this perspective, very difficult to comprehend. Oh, yeah. Why would you ask for what happened to you? Why would you ask to be abused? Why would you ask to have pain and suffering? Why would you ask to have loss or, you know, lose your love? Like, why would you ask for this? Why would you plan something like this? Is there anything you can say to people listening that can maybe articulate and give people comfort or understanding of what the soul's journey is? I'll I'll do my I'll do my best. Okay. Here's the thing. I have learned as as I'm old and gray now, experience is the only true teacher. Yes. <laughs> experience is the only true teacher and so you know, I mean, I'll I'll go back to my football days. You could you could whiteboard it up, and every play was a touchdown. You know, all day long. But until you get on the field and realize how fast a four four forty is, and how big a two hundred thirty pound fullback, you know, I mean, then it's like, okay, now I get it. And I think, in many ways, yeah, we had the blueprint. And we're like, oh yeah, let's do that. That's going to be awesome. But then we come to experience it. 
and experience is the only true teacher. And and yet, you know, I I, I do some work with uh, with indigenous people, Native mm-hmm. American people, and they they call this the illusion. Oh yeah, yeah. We've come into the illusion, you know, to experience what we're not, that we might somehow embrace what we truly are, which is divine and eternal. And that 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 was very evident in my near death experience. I was eternal. This this was. This was just a couple of acts in 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 a in a play that was going to expand my soul in such a way that nothing else, you know, nothing else could do it that way. It was only by experience that I would learn it. It didn't make it any less painful, but um, but yeah, I think I think experience is the only true teacher, and it's love that allows us to experience things. Well, like Mike Tyson said, we all have a plan till we get punched in the face. <laughs> well, that, that's when I say the facade. You know, yeah, yeah you you get hit, and and yeah, I got hit, and we all we all do. Everybody gets there. Everybody, turn. everybody gets hit. Everybody, no matter how perfect from the Instagram world or the I, social media world that you think everyone's life is perfect, I promise you, every <laughs> single person gets hit somehow. They could be billionaires and they still have something going on with them, or they could be poor as hell and they could be the happiest person on the planet. It's all relative. We all, we all go through things, but that's the reason we're here. If yeah. you were, if you weren't here to experience what this, this, this dream, this illusion has to offer, this reality has to offer. There's no point in it. It's kind of like playing a video game and you just sit in the corner because you don't want to go fight the dragon. Right. You're just right. sitting there like, no, no, I'm just going to hang out here. And you're like, well, what are you doing then? Why are you even playing the game if you're not going to engage in what the, the the plan is, this level that has been thrown in front of you? You have some orcs to fight. You got some trolls to fight. You got the princess to fight, you know, save on the other end. But you got to go through this dragon. But I'm scared of the dragon. Ah, there is your journey. That is what you need to follow. This, that's what you need to conquer. And now I might go even deeper. It is not the dragon you need to conquer. It's the fear you need to conquer. The dragon is just there to facilitate you conquering that fear. Fair enough? I love it. That That's a beautiful analogy, Alex. I mean, maybe we're all in a big video game. And yeah, the, the, oh. the, the, cave, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure that we seek. Joseph Campbell. Yes. There you go. Yes, there you go. And um you know, I mean, here's where it shifted for me, and this this may be useful because, boy, did I ask the why questions. Why me? Why now? Why both right. of them? Why the leg? Why, why, why? When I shifted the whys to what, you know, what am I learning? What is my Ooh. soul expanding? What can I do with this to potentially assess to others? That's when it shifted. You know, when when I when I when I changed it from all about me to the outward focus, and and here's the thing, I. That took a while. I mean, let, let's not pretend that I had this accident, had a near-death experience, and I was okay. No, I had this accident, had the near-death experience, and and I grieved as miserably and 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 navigated my way through that, and made all kinds of silly mistakes and poor decisions, and and yet, you know, um, we got through the video game. We, you know, we we got through we, the level. Got through the level. We, we 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 conquered one boss and then there was another one that and then there was another one and 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 yeah that's 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 why we came that's why we came is to play the game 
Yeah, and it's and, and I've used that analogy so many times on the show because I think it's such a such a perfect analogy of the video game. Because if you are the avatar in the game, if you're Mario, if you're Link or Zelda in the game fighting the dragons, there's a player behind the scenes who is playing the game and you are the avatar and that that player is in my analogy the soul who's decided to go down this game and then you get into much deeper waters just like well the soul the, that that player could also play another game at the same time and that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that that was the expansiveness of being out of the realm but i it's beautiful right. so what if i'm just the avatar here right and 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 who knows? I mean, I'm I I say God, you know. I mean, I was held by this beautiful being. I didn't dare turn around. My belief system gave me fear to turn around. Well, was it my higher self? Was it was it was it? You know, right. I don't know. But but yeah, if if we're here in the game as an avatar of our eternal higher divine self, then yeah, that's the perspective that perhaps we say, okay, we're going to get through this level. <laughs> and somehow we'll make it if we just hold on. Yeah, and this is interesting because, you know, I know you and I are of of similar vintage. I think you're a little bit older than I am, but we, we both know Zelda and Mario. Let's just put it that way. I'm aware of those. Yep. Yes, exactly. And later on in games, uh, you could change your player. So you could come in as a girl dressed up with some cool, you know, guns, or you could be an orc, or you could be a guy. And you're choosing the avatar you want to experience the game in. Yep. So in many ways, you're like, well, do I want to experience this as a girl? Do I want to experience this as a guy? Do I want to experience this as being broke? Or do I want to have all the money in the world and have all the, the weapons and toys that I want to play with? And Or do I want to start from scratch? And it is just, you know, the, the analogy kind of really fits what we're going through. And it's the equivalent of Zelda being upset because Zelda goes down the cave, gets killed. Starts the level over again. And now you learned you don't go around that corner because there's a monster in that corner. You need to avoid that corner if you can or learn how to defeat that monster. But that knowledge, that experience, and it's literally called experience points in some of these games. Like you need to build experience points before you can even attempt to fight some of these bigger bosses so i don't want to go down too far the rabbit hole of the video game analogy but well, right, yeah, but but, it, but it, it, it's it's the perfect analogy i mean that's maybe that's why the human psyche and we're not Built human or, you know that's why we get so into it because yeah that's 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 again just another representation of what we're in reality doing we're here experiencing ourselves as not ourselves and yet we're learning <laughs> at, a, at a higher level by experience that expands our soul. Now, you've mentioned a few times that your belief system, your religious beliefs, um, right. you know, kind of guided you through this process in the sense of like, I don't even want to turn around because is that Jesus? Is that God? It's like, I don't you know. He's, that's the big man. I can't yeah. I can't turn around. How have your religious beliefs changed? since your experience and since your life journey to be honest well they've they've transformed and and i don't i don't even know if i would say i'm religious anymore you know i, I mean i i i'm spiritual i feel mm -hmm. very connected and and it's gone twofold i've i've seen the barriers that religion put around me mm -hmm. but see i look as new eyes and i say you know what organized religion is not a bad thing i mean i don't care what you believe you know but to have a community or to have something that brings you closer to the divine, um, 
you know, I mean, if my experience taught me anything, well, well, there's something that's much bigger than we are, <laughs> even if, 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 you know, and, and to connect with that or, or tap into that in some way is a good thing. But I used to believe, well, there's one way and there's one right way and I'm going to be right. And I was so committed to being right, you know, <laughs> and, and, well, well, there's, boy, there's like two or three billion people that believe something else. And yeah, obviously yeah. they're all wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, or pity. Well, gosh, poor well, them. Those, I guess they're not I'm, the chosen yeah. ones. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you get it. And then that was, you know, and, and now it's like, wow, that just that just exploded. And I'm like, every living soul is as yeah. precious as this little boy I hold in the eyes of God. We're all we're all that beloved. We're all that chosen. We're all that beautiful and divine and perfect and and that's what expanded it for me it was like wow okay now i've experienced unconditional love beyond a word or a theory and uh yeah all of that uh that did transform for me it's like let's just love each other and be good to each other and even if we have completely different beliefs let's walk with each other and support each other and get over it. You know, let, let, let's be more one. Let, 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 let's, let's stop the us and them game and become we, and that's when we win the game. You know, that's when we conquer the game. Without question. And in, in, in many ways, cause I, you know, I came, I came from a Catholic background uh, as well. And, and I always wondered, I'm like, you know, we're not born our religion. We're, we're born pure essentially. And these belief systems are taught to us by society, by our community, by our parents. So when you choose to come down to incarnate, you choose arguably the religion that you are going to be taught because that religion might have lessons for you to learn in this incarnation. It is a set of rules to play the game that whether either you follow the rules, you reject the rules, all of it's a lesson, all of it is a, a teaching mechanism. But I agree with you that even a belief system in any sort of organized religion there are so many positives in that to connect to a higher self. It's when you get into the into the bumpers of the end where it's all boxed off and 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 you start getting into the dogma and you like to the perfect example, you're being held by this being behind you and like I can't turn around. Like that, that's limiting. <laughs> Whereas yeah. it, from your experience, there it is endless. There is no, it's infinity. There is no limits to the love and the support. And the understanding and all this that, that that you were surrounded in, but yet your belief systems was like I can't turn around. And I just had to have, if you turned around, what would happen? Is yeah, it like no, Ra Ra Raiders of the Lost Ark? Did your your face melt? Like what's? Yeah, yeah. See, that's just it. It's like it's choices, even choice. I made the choice. Well, I better not turn around. That's the big guy. Yeah, yeah. And and yet, yeah. Now, wow. Well, okay. And, and I suppose an openness. Well. Gosh, what if I turned around and that was something I totally didn't expect? You know, right. I should have turned around, Alex. I should have turned. <laughs> now I'm going to. Now I should. You know, my 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 son teases me. My oldest son Spencer will say, "Dad, you can't put God in a box." You know, and 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 right. then and then when I say, "Well, I should have turned around," he said, "Well, don't should all over yourself." He's like, <laughs> you "No, know, you did what you did, and it was perfect for your experience." He's he's become a very you know he didn't have any of the near death experience, and he's become a very insightful, compassionate man. You know, he's he we we we've come to the same conclusions with two totally different paths. And that's kind of interesting, you know, that's fat. It's fascinating. And I mean, Jeffrey, your, your story is so uh, profound and, you know, 
out of all the stories I've heard, most of them have been, as far as near-death experiences are concerned, most have been um, lost within themselves. I haven't heard a story like yours where you had so much loss, not only to yourself, like physically, but emotionally with your with your wife and your son. And that's a whole other level of trauma that a lot of people can comprehend. I mean, when you're talking about holding the baby and smelling the baby, I'm like, I'm a father. I get it. 110%. When you started telling your story, I was like, you know, I've been on the road on a family trip. I've kind of like dozed a second or two. It could have happened to anyone. Um, and it's so it's such a powerful story. And I hope this the story does help people listening, dealing with with loss, dealing with trauma, because you know, people find this show, find these episodes because they are guided to them. And it's my job to facilitate these conversations, um, to share well, these stories. Good work. You're doing good work, my friend. I'm and trying. keep keep doing it. Keep doing it. I appreciate you, my friend. Melissa, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests, what is your definition of living a good life? Wow. Living a good life, um, being kind, <laughs> being happy. Um, you know, I mean, people say, well, your life must have been spared for some profound, you know, reason. And I say, yeah, you know, to play catch with my son and watch another sunset and, uh, yeah, living a good life is living the life you choose, you know, choosing a life and, and embracing it and being that. How do you define God? You know, I was uh <laughs> I was watching Les Miserables, you know, over the holidays here on, on it was on one of the channels, I don't know. And there's a profound thing at the end of um, you know, the most recent rendition, the big full feature film. And it was also in the, the 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 musical. But to love another person is to see the face of God. And if we could see the divine in each other, and probably most importantly, if we could see the divine when we look in the mirror, that's how I define God. God is in every one of us. And and we are God, and 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 God is love. And if we could love each other and love ourselves, and and you know, um, from those Christian backgrounds, even Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Well, if I don't love myself, I'm going to have a hard time loving the neighbors. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I define God as wow. I was held by a divine being, but boy, I see the divine in everything, even the trees the water, the sky, but especially when I, 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 I Alex, I can look through Zoom. I, I see your heart and what you're doing and what you're creating. It's like, that's divine to me, my brother. That is divine. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much, my friend. And last question, what is the ultimate purpose of life? To remember who we are, <laughs> to remember we come from the divinity. You talk about those babies being born. Gosh, you know, they come in perfection. They come with so much light. I, if you've ever been in the room when a baby's born, well, I guess we all have because we were we were in the room when we were born. But I don't remember it much. <laughs> I don't. Rem I don't remember my own. But boy, I remember the others. And um, we come from love and perfection, and the purpose of life is to remember that no matter what we're experiencing, we we are that, and to remember it, to put those pieces back together and embrace it. I was only asked one question in my near-death experience, and the question was, to what degree 
have you learned to love? That was the only question. There was no judgment. That was one question. To what degree have you learned to love? And I suppose that's the purpose of life is to remember that we are love and be that. Great answer. Great, great answer. And where can people find out more about you, your books, and the work that you're doing, sir? Oh, gosh. Uh, Envoy Publishing. E-N-V-O-Y. Envoy publishing.com. The books are there, both the books, both knowing and where are you are on Amazon. And uh, I'm pretty primitive. I've recently just turned off social media and decided to, uh, to just be in a real, you know, a real way. I I think uh, coming from your background, Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, love the people under your own roof. And uh, if we can focus on that, um, but you can find you can find uh, books and videos at envoypublishing.com. And is there any parting message you'd like to leave with the audience? Choice. Choose joy. No matter what you're going through, somehow choose. Make the choice to see joy, to see light, and to be that. And uh, it always reflects. 